We're going to be talking about understanding the enemy, understanding the enemy. And so over the next couple, next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking and studying about our enemy as Christians to get an idea of how we can have victory by understanding the way that he operates. You know, as Christians, we have three great enemies. Uh, somebody want to tell me what the three great enemies are? Good reminder for us. Who three enemies of the Christian? Melissa? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Melanie usually answers that question for me. I've asked that in teen class quite a bit. She's usually the one, and she says them in a different order and throws me off. Um, but miss, miss our college students that aren't here with us. But we have um, those three enemies. We have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. You know, we understand as Christians that there is spiritual warfare that is going on around us. God has called us to be a good soldier. Now, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That we're supposed to be um, in God's army. And we sing the song with the children, I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, speaking of children's songs, that we're, we're battling, we're involved in spiritual battle, and it's God's desire that we have victory. You know, the enemy that we face most often is our flesh. Uh, the guy that I get up and look at in the morning, in the, in the mirror every morning, that's the one who gives me the most trouble uh, about trying to have victory. There's a draw that our flesh has uh, towards evil, towards things that are wrong. It, it fights against the holiness that the Spirit of God wants to work in our life. And there's a constant battle of, of the flesh and having victory over our flesh. And we deal with that enemy on a regular basis as believers. It's the part of us that still wants to uh, rebel against God and go our own way. When I preach or teach on spiritual victory, what I usually focus on is dealing with our flesh because uh, we live with it every day and we're very aware of that battle that's, that's within us. And uh, it, it's so, so common that it's even portrayed in, um, in cartoons with the, the angel on one side and the devil on the other side. What is that? It's a portrayal of the battle within us between the part that wants to do right and the part that wants to do good. It's not an, an angel and it's devil. It, it's me and me. Um, me operated by the Spirit of God and me operated by my flesh. And there's a, there's a draw and the spirit warreth against the flesh and they're contrary one another. Galatians talks about that quite a bit in chapter 5. This is what our series on being more than conquerors is all about. We've been looking at different weaknesses of our flesh and how we can biblically have victory in those areas. So looking at our enemies, we have our flesh, we face that most often. Then the next enemy we encounter or think about most often is the world, Uh, looking at the world and the world's influences on the Christians. We are surrounded um, by, the, by the world, and there's a powerful draw that it puts on the heart of a Christian. We're surrounded by this enemy all the time. You can't go to a gas station, a restaurant, a grocery store without hearing the world's music. I was at a gas station this week talking to Brother Matt on the phone, and the music was so loud that I could barely hear him on the phone, and it wasn't normal for the, for the gas station to play it like that, but it's there. If you go to a restaurant, you go to a gas station, you go to a grocery store, no matter where it is, you're going to hear the world's music. The world's ideology and the world's theology are promoted in almost every movie, show, or, or news station, or anything you watch that's produced by this world is trying to inculcate their values uh, and their theology, what they believe about God or what they believe about worship um, and what they believe uh, in ideology and how you should behave. That's all promoted by this world. The world wants to tell a Christian what to like, what to do, what to think, what to wear, what to listen to, what to talk about, what to act like. Every part of your life, the world wants to dictate how you should behave, and they want to conform you into their own image. That's why Romans chapter 12 tells us not to be conformed to this world, because there's a mold of what, what the world wants you to look like, and they're trying to push you into that mold, and we're supposed to be fighting against that so that we can be like Christ instead. So we have this enemy of our flesh. We have the enemy 
of, um, of the world. You know, the world is constantly attempting to break into our homes, our families, and our lives and have control over us. We have to guard ourselves, and especially young people, from the influences of the world. And when it comes to these enemies, we tend to get so busy attempting to have victory over these two that we often fail to recognize or consider our third enemy. Um, that we're so busy fighting the flesh, we're so busy pushing off the world that we don't even think about uh, the fact that we have a third enemy that Satan is trying to bring about um, his attacks against God's plan and what, what God is trying to do in and through us. You know, this is, uh, this is really... As I was thinking about this yesterday, God convicted me about this because this is really a, a shame on us as believers. You know, our flesh is supposed to be crucified with Christ. We're supposed to have victory over our flesh. It's crucified with Christ, and we're supposed to be living in the power of Christ and the power of the resurrection. We've been commanded, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If our hearts are full of a love for this world, there's no room for the love of God. But if our hearts are full of the love of God, there is no room for a love of this world. This is what God spoke to me about um, yesterday as I was studying this. Most Christians don't have to worry about an attack from Satan because we've already been defeated by our flesh in this world. We don't have to worry about Satan's not bothered with us because we're already living in defeat. Well, they can barely keep their head above water when it comes to keeping their flesh under control. I don't even have to go after them. And, and, and you know, that God spoke to my heart. I had to, had to have an invitation right there in my Bible study um, to say, you know what, I want to be living in victory. Victory over my flesh, victory over the world, so that I can be a, a target of Satan. Not that I want him to come after me, but I want to be the kind of Christian that Satan's worried about. But if a Christian is just living in defeat to their flesh and is just living to whatever the world desires for them to be, the whims of the world, well, then Satan doesn't have to worry about them. And so that's something God spoke to my heart about in my study for this. You know, we need to start living in victory so Satan will actually take an interest in us. If, however, you're having some victories and your flesh and in this world, you're going to start to become a target of Satan. Let's go to our verse for this morning, Luke chapter 22, verse number 31 is where we're going to begin this morning. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Here the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Let's go ahead and read verse 32 as well. This is Luke 22, 31 and 32. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Let's open a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for uh, today and the time we have to be in your word. I pray that you would help me as I teach this thought that you've laid on my heart, that it would be a, a encouragement, a blessing to us to give us some scripture uh, to go into this world and win victories. Uh, Lord, for you on behalf of, of the cross and of Christ, Lord, and that we would be Christians who live in victory and not be in defeat to our flesh, to the world, and to our great enemy, Satan, Lord. Pray you bless this time around your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And we see in this verse that we saw in verse number 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, Satan wants you. Satan's after you. Satan's interested in you as a believer and as a Christian. He, he's, he's taken an interest in you and he wants to bring about destruction in your life. Going back to what we were just saying, this wasn't a warning that Jesus gave to Judas. Jesus didn't tell Judas, Behold, Judas, Satan hath desired to have thee. Why? Because Satan already did. Because Judas had a love of money. 
and he lived in servitude to a love of money and to a love of the things of this world, and Satan had control in Judas's life. Peter, however, he was one who was living in victory. He was growing in spiritual maturity. He was taking leadership among the disciples. God was going to do great things through Peter, and um, Satan said, I'm, I want that guy. I'm interested in him because he's doing something for God. I'm not worried about Judas. I've already got him under control. Um, so again, that idea is that if we're living in, 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 in defeat to our flesh, we're not, Satan's not bothered by us because we're not living for God anyway. Satan had a stronghold in Judas's life, and Satan wanted Peter to be a casualty as well. Peter sa- Satan said that I want it. I want, I want, I want Peter. I'm after him. You know, we get more background into what's going on here with um, Peter when we consider the life of Job. And we're going to look at Job a little, in a little bit, um, a little bit more. But we see Satan took Job and he went to God and said, God, I want Job. I want to go after Job. And he got permission to do so. And then we see that what did Satan do? He put Job through the ringer. And what was the goal? To get Job to curse God and, and, and lose his faith in God. Here, Satan said, I want Peter. He'd ask God for Peter. And God was going to allow Peter to go through the ringer. Or in this, this text, it says he wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to put you and tumble you and throw your life into chaos. And what was the goal? Jesus said, well, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. And that's what Job was going to happen is, did, did Job's faith fail? That was what Satan was trying to make happen. Same thing for Peter. Satan wanted Peter's faith to fail. He wants Peter to quit being obedient to God, to give up on the Lord, um, and to go off on his own. And that was what Satan wanted to accomplish in Peter's life. We see Jesus praying for Peter's faith not to fail. Even though we have a powerful enemy, we have an even more powerful friend in the person of Jesus Christ. And what a, what a blessing that is. So these next couple of weeks, I've got four lessons planned to do a study on Satan. There's many ways that we can approach this. We could do an academic study, look at his person, his personality, um, and, and his attributes, the, the names that he's given in the Bible, but we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to take a very a military approach, looking at it from a militaristic standpoint. Um, we're going to study him like a military might study their enemy. The more you know about your enemy, the more you're prepared to have victory. Um, Shamar, you play football. You ever watched a video of, a, of another team's game to, to see how they play? So you could, yeah, yeah, all the time, right? So you can see what are their tactics, what are their moves. Would you like to have the other team's playbook before the game? Please. Oh, please, yes, exactly. <laughs> you want to know what they're going to do and, and how, they're going to, how they're going to act. So we're going to be looking at that a little bit. Sports teams do this. Uh, baseball teams, they try to watch the, the, the coach over there as he does his hat and he licks his elbow and all the stuff he's doing. What's he trying to tell him? What's, what we, want to, we want a heads up on what's, what's going to happen. Countries all around the world have spies in their enemies' governments and their militaries to learn how they operate. So we're looking at our enemy and try to understand how he operates so we can be prepared to win victory when those battles come. So today we're going to be looking at Satan's targets. Um, Next week we will be looking at his talk. Then we'll consider his tactics. And finally we'll look at his timeline. And those will be the next four lessons that we'll discuss uh, our enemy, um, trying to understand our enemy. So today we're looking at his targets. You know, if an enemy, an army has an advanced warning of an attack, they have time to prepare. Um, I'm amazed at the abilities and capabilities of the American military. Just a few months ago, um, there was the drone strike that killed the Al-Qaeda leader, uh, Ayman Azawari, uh, if that's how it's pronounced. Um, He was on his balcony in Kabul in a safe house. 
standing on his balcony, and we're on the other side of the world, and we send something to hit the guy on the balcony. That, that, that's amazing. But from what we're looking at illustration-wise, if he had known that the balcony was the target, would he have gone out on the balcony to drink his coffee that morning or whatever he was doing out there? No, if, if you knew the target, where the, where the target was, well, you're going to prepare um, for that. At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, there's a very famous event that took place where an army learned about an enemy target ahead of time. This was the midnight ride of Paul Revere, right? The British are coming, one if by land, two if by sea. That was a network that the colonials had put together to give an advance warning. And it was actually a directive by the Continental Congress there that whenever, I believe it was more than 500 British regulars marched out with their weapons out of the city of Boston, this network was supposed to light up and let everybody know what's going on. And that's what had happened is the British were leaving town and Paul Revere jumped out to go let the warning out. Well, what had happened... We don't often, we hear about Paul Revere's ride, but we didn't hear about what happened before that, is that the British had left the town and the, the warning system didn't work. And they were able to capture all the British, or the, sorry, all the colonial munitions that were um, held at, I believe it was called Summerlee, was the city that it was in, uh, Somerville. Somerville, all the munitions were stored there because they didn't know. They didn't know that that was going to be a target. So it, it helps you to know what your enemy is interested in. And so Jesus even talked about this in Luke chapter 12, verse number 39. He says, And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. Uh, if, if you knew somebody was coming to your house to break in at a certain time, you'd do some things to prepare uh, for them to be there. And so looking at our enemy, we want to see what is he interested in? What is he going after? And what motivates him? What is he targeting? So we can kind of kind of fortify those areas when it comes to understanding our enemy. So we're going to look at these four targets of Satan this morning. We're going to consider them by looking at the four times we have Satan speaking in the Bible. You look at where Satan spoke up and that showed some interest he had in something and those are the targets that he had. So number one this morning, we're going to look at how Satan has targeted God's seat. Satan targets God's seat. Isaiah chapter 14. Let's go there. Isaiah 14. These are familiar verses for anything that anybody's done any study on, on Satan. But Isaiah chapter 14, we'll look at verses 12 down through verse number 14. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. There the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So we see here Satan's attitude and him speaking out in rebellion to God. Uh, before we go into studying this out exactly, I want to make I want to mention this isn't part of the study today, but there is. A lot of, if you go do any reading on this passage, a, a lot of different thoughts, and I, I labeled it in my notes, con contextual concerns. Um, there's a lot of discussion about this, whether this is referring to Satan or to a Babylonian king. Uh, very clearly from, from understanding context, looking at Ezekiel chapter 28 as well, that this is a dual prophecy. It's addressing a Babylonian king, but it's talking about Satan as well. There's also discussion about whether this is something that's already happened or if it's going to happen in, in the future event. But that doesn't fit in our purpose of our study today. I just wanted to acknowledge those, uh, that they are out there in case somebody will. I heard this. Well, 
I know that's that's out there, but for our study today, we're seeing that Satan's got a target, and his target was God's seat. He's interested in the throne of God. So first of all, Satan's drive. What motivated Satan? What did he want? What was what was in his heart that pushed him to do this? And we see that it's pride. Pride motivated Satan to go after the throne of God. In Ezekiel chapter 28, I mentioned that already, but there's a description there of Satan's, uh, Satan's sin in his heart as well and the sin of pride. And it says specifically that Satan's heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He was lifted up in pride because of his, because of his beauty. He had just become enamored with himself. Uh, what a great description of pride. You know, it's amazing that that was the motivation for Satan and, and all the rebellion and the re- things that have resulted from that. Where did Satan get his beauty? Right. From God. Did, did he have anything to do with that? No, he had no reason to be proud. Well, let's flip it around for a second, make application. What are we proud of? Yeah. Where did we get that? It all came from God. What, what dost thou have that thou hast not received? Uh, it came from God. And the same thing with Satan. He was just, wow, look at, look at me. I mean, you look at those other angels. They're just nothing. They're nothing like me. And like, well, that's because God made you that way. And instead of acknowledging God, he became amazed with himself. And we see his pride there. His pride is displayed in these verses in the five I wills. There's five times he said, I will. In these verses in Isaiah, he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Just just oozing with pride there. Satan's pride was his motivation for his attack on the throne of God. And we see his drive there. Secondly, we see his destination. What was he going after? And we mentioned already he was going after God's seat. What Satan was targeting was the throne of God. He wanted God's position and he attacked it. You know, anywhere that Satan can attack God's authority, he will. He didn't like his pride lifted him up. He didn't like it that he was under God's authority. He wanted outside of that authority. He wanted to live however he wanted to live and not live in subjection to God. And so he pushed back and he, and he fought against the authority of God. That's the idea of a throne, is God's authority. And Satan said, I don't want that. I want my authority. He wasn't interested in God's authority. And so when we see his attack going on here in Isaiah, that was the literal throne of God in heaven. But Satan will go after God's authority anywhere that he can. These attacks can clearly be seen in our world today. You know, God is truth. Word of God is truth. And there's an attack on truth today. Very basic truth is under attack and saying there's no such thing. You can just have whatever you want to have, whatever you want to believe about yourself, about, about math, about the world, about history. You just, you just believe what you want to believe and it's just as real as, uh, as anything else. There was an interaction, you know, those the videos of somebody interviewing somebody on the street videos. And there was a guy there talking and he was asking somebody, about this idea of just believe whatever you want to believe. He said, well, what if I believe that you don't exist? And they said, well, then I guess I don't exist. (laughs) There's an attack on truth uh, in in the world today. Um, There's an attack on absolute morality, uh, that there is a right and there is a wrong. And it's because God God has authority that there is right and there is wrong. So Satan tries to blur the lines and say there's no such thing as right or wrong. Uh, You can do what you want to do, and that's fine. That's Satan's attack on the authority of God. There's an attack on love. God is love, and love is getting, being misconstrued in our, in our world today. And they're, they're making all kinds of things that's not what love is, and they're doing it to, it's an attack of Satan on God. There's an attack on the creator, the creation, the whole evolution account. That's all motivated by Satan going after God's authority. 
So his, his attack was on God's authority. What was his, his desire? What did he want to accomplish? We see that he wanted God's position. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I want to be the one making the call. I want to be the one in charge. He wanted God's authority. He talks about exalting his throne above the stars of God, sitting on the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. That specifically talked about God's throne, God's authority. He wanted God's position. He wanted God's authority. He wanted God's prominence. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I want to be the one that, that, that is the most important and have preeminence. We see that he wanted God's worship. He said, I'll be like the Most High. He wants, he wants the attention that God was getting. He wanted it for himself. And, and the world today, it's, it's, there's a worship, a worship of self and a rejection of God's authority. And Satan's claiming all that for himself. We're in this season right now where things of evil are being glorified uh, all over at the stores and over people's yard. We were trying to go do John Aromas yesterday. And my son came running back from one of the houses he was doing. He said, I'm... There's skeletons all over that yard. I don't want to go up there. And it's good. I'm glad he doesn't like the, those things bother him. Um, I don't want to be comfortable uh, seeing, that kind of, seeing that kind of evil. It should bother us that that evil is out there. And so we see that um, he wants God's worship. He also, uh, we see that he is getting those things in the world today. If there's any attack on the authority of God, Satan's the one that wants it. So we see his desire. He's going after God's authority, God's worship, God's position, God's prominence. And that's going to motivate the other attacks that he's making as well. Um, when he goes after a Christian, it's because he wants God's authority. When he goes after a child, it's because he wants God's position. It it's all motivates the rest of what we're going to study today. And we see, lastly, Satan's defeat. How is Satan's defeated? Look at verse number 15 of Isaiah 14. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Uh, Satan is going to be defeated. Uh, he's already been defeated. He's just waiting for his judgment to come. Uh, and that is, that is coming. And we're going to look at more of that of the, in the lesson on Satan's timeline when we, when we get to that in a couple weeks. So Satan's first target was the seat of God. Secondly, as we look at another time that Satan spoke, we see that Satan also targets the scriptures. He's after God's seat and he's after the scriptures. He's after God's word. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. This would be chronologically the second time um, Satan spoke, although in the canon of Scripture it comes, we come across it first. So originally uh, he, he spoke up against God in Isaiah 14, and then he comes down and talks to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, and he makes an attack on the Word of God. We'll look at all these accounts in, in other ways, in different lessons, but we're going to just look at verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 3 for this morning and see this, uh, this attack that Satan made. Genesis 3, verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Just kind of focusing on those first four words. Yea, hath God said. What was he going after there? After the word of God. Hey, God said that. Did he really? God, God, this is what God said is right. Well, there's probably some wiggle room in there. Uh, he's going after the word of God. Satan's first recorded words as far as in, in order in the canon of Scripture is hath God said. From the very beginning, he's been attacking the Word of God, and he continues to do so today. Satan's drive, what was motivating him to go after this, he wanted to cause confusion. Uh, that's the confusion there. Did God really say that? Is that really what God said? What if we change a word here or there? Does it matter that much? And he wanted to cause confusion. We see in James chapter uh, 3, the end of the chapter there, it talks about uh, the wisdom that descendeth not from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. 
what does it say after it's devilish? It says it causes, is, um, for where every strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Wisdom that is devilish brings about confusion. What about, what, what about when it comes to God? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion. If there's confusion, it didn't come from God. If there's confusion about the Word of God, God isn't the one that brought it about. Uh, God is clear when it comes to His Word. Satan's the one who wants to bring about confusion. Why? Because confusion corrupts obedience. If you took, um, if I gave my son a job, told him to go to the car, and, and I left my Bible in there, go get me my Bible out of the car. And as he's running out the door, um, Jake stops him and says, Tyus, where are you going? I'm going out to get my dad's Bible out of the car. I think he probably left it in the truck. What? Um, the truck's not here. Well, then you probably can't go get it. It'd be very easy to confuse him, and then he couldn't obey. As soon as he's confused, then he can't obey anymore. Um, and, uh, and Jake would never do something like that. We're just pulling him out of the, t- out of the group here. <laughs> but it'd be very easy to, to, once you confuse, they can't obey anymore. And so if he could get, he could get Adam and Eve confused about the Word of God, uh, then he could get them to stop obeying the Word of God. Confusion corrupts obedience, and confusion breeds doubt. Is that really what God said? Can I really trust God? Does God really want what's best for me? All that was Satan trying to stir out in, in, um, in this conversation he was having. There's a, uh, a skit somebody did of, of the sh- old show, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I don't know, it might even still be going on today, the show does. Anyway, they had this guy in there, and it was a question about the, the, something like the 15th president of the United States. And his options were George Washington... And the 15th president, I just say, I use this 50-50. And the guy says, well, it's not George Washington, that's this guy. And they make all the lights and the music, and he goes, well, are you sure? <laughs> like, no, it's not. It's not. It can't be George Washington. Are you sure? And so after three or four times, the guy's like, okay, George Washington. Nope, that's wrong. Sorry. <laughs> but just there, let me throw some doubt. Let me throw some doubt. And if I get doubt in there, I can get you to stop believing and doing what you know is right. And that's what Satan's trying to do. Are you sure? Is that really what God says? Does God really care about that area of life? That's not really what the Bible's talking about. Well, maybe that's good for them, but not for you. Doubt. Doubt about the Word of God, and then he can corrupt obedience. He wanted to cause doubt. He wanted to cause confusion, and he wanted to destroy their obedience. Satan's destination, what was he attacking? He was attacking the Word of God. The Bible is a constant target of Satan's. He is after the Word of God. He wants to destroy the Word of God. You look throughout history, there have been many times that he's gone after the Bible and tried to, tried to keep it from the people. Don't let them read it. Don't let them see it. Let's hide it. Let's lock it away. As people try to make it available to common man, well, let's kill the people that are translating it, kill the people that are, that are writing it. They get the Bible out to people. Let's collect them. Let's burn them. Let's destroy them. And once the Word of God's out there, he said, well, let's make a whole bunch of different copies. And they all are different. And then they can be confused about it, and my Bible says this, and your Bible says that. Let's get confusion in there. The Bible, Satan's after that. Why? Because the Bible describes God's authority. This is God's authority. This is God's word, and Satan doesn't like God's authority. He doesn't like what God said, so he goes after what God has said. This is God's will revealed to man. If the devil can hinder, corrupt, change, or destroy the word of God, he can keep people from following the will of God. We looked a couple weeks ago at the idea of the will of God and and what is God's will, general will for all mankind? That um, none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants. And God revealed how that happens in the Bible. But if he can bring confusion and distrust about this book, he can keep people from turning to the Lord. And when people get saved, it brings glory to God and people worship the Lord and Satan doesn't want that. He's after God, so he attacks God's word. 
And so the Bible is, uh, is, is being attacked by Satan. What's his desire? What does he want to accomplish? We said already he wants to cause doubt. He wants to cause distrust. He wants to cause disobedience. What about Satan's defeat when it comes to his target of the Word of God? Well, Psalms tells us, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Uh, the Bible's settled. No matter what Satan does, he can't destroy it. He can't get rid of it. The Word of God is, the word of God is settled. So Satan goes after God's seat. He's looking for God's authority and God's position. He goes after God's uh, word, the scriptures. Thirdly, we see that God, Satan targets God's servants. Let's go to the book of Job now. Find another time that Satan spoke in the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Right there before the Psalms. Job chapter 1, a familiar story. We've all heard uh, this before. Lots of different ways to look at um, this story and seeing it when it comes to Christian suffering. But we're looking today at how Satan goes after a Christian, goes after a servant of God. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. We'll read this interaction between Satan and the Lord. Verses 6 through 11, the Bible says there, Now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast, thou, hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thine power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We see an interaction here, kind of a sneak peek in, into heaven and what's going on there with Satan as one of his titles is the accuser, accuser of the brethren. And there's a really fun thing about that specific title of Satan that we're going to look at in the timeline, in his timeline. Very fun um, about that, that idea of Satan um, and, and that title that he has. But he's there. He's, he's accusing the brethren. And we see his drive. What was motivating him? What, what, what pushed him to go after Job um, this way? Well, he had a hatred of those that are obedient to the Lord. Remember, he wants God's worship. So when somebody else is worshiping God, he, he wants to tear down God's throne and God's worship. He wants that for, for himself. But if he can't have it, he doesn't want God to have it either. So a faithful, obedient Christian, the Satan hates. He hates that, that God is getting that proper recognition. It's really interesting here when the Lord asked Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That word considered is a compound word. It's made up of a, of a couple... Um, Okay, I forgot the word. The part, prefix, yep, prefix, word, root word, suffix. That's the, it's a three-part word, prefix, root word, suff, uh, suffix. And the first one is to put, then the middle is your heart, and then the last word is upon. The word considered is, have you put your heart upon Job? Because what did Satan want? I want Job for me. Jo Satan had set his heart on, I want, I want, I want, what, I want Job for myself. That's this word considered. And he says, I don't want God to have Job's praise. 
I want Job's life to glorify me instead of glorifying God. He'd put his heart upon, he'd put his heart upon Job. But what, what was it about Job that did this? Well, Job was a perfect man. He was an upright man. He was a man that eschewed evil. He was a man whose life wasn't living in surrender to the flesh. He is a man who was living separate from the world. And Satan said, well, he's, he's got victory in these areas of his life, and I want him to be defeated. I want him for myself. Satan wanted the devotion that had been given to God by Job. He wanted it for himself. Again, a Christian living in defeat does not bother Satan. Yeah, the man's soul is saved, and he can't do anything about that, but at least God's not getting his devotion, so that doesn't matter to Satan if there's a Christian that's living in defeat. But a Christian living in victory, Satan says, I don't, I don't want that. I want that for myself. Satan desired God's position, and part of that position was the worship of God's servant. A devoted Christian angers our enemy, Satan. So what's his destination? What was he after? He was after Job's faith. We see this when we looked at Peter. He, Satan hath desired thee, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Satan wanted to go, Job to curse God, to, to, to lose his faith in God. That was what Satan was after. Faith is tied in the Bible to obedience. I want Job to stop being obedient to God. I want him to stop trusting God. I want him to live for himself instead of living for God. That's what Satan was after. He asked, does Job fear God for naught? He wanted Job to stop fearing God, to stop honoring God with his life. We see Satan's defeat. How is Satan defeated? Well, Satan is defeated when the Christian's faith does not fail. If, you, if Job would, could go through all that J, Satan put into his life and come at the end and say, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to be faithful to God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Satan lost. Satan lost when a Christian stays faithful. When, you, when, you, when you've had victory in your life over your flesh, when you've had victory in your life over the world, and then Satan throws everything he can at you, and you say, I'm going to trust God no matter what, Satan lost. Satan's been defeated. But you know what? That's not something we can do on our own. Uh, Satan's a very powerful enemy, but we have, we have just as we got some extra insight on um, Peter's situation when we look at Job, we get some more insight on Job's situation when we look at Peter, because again, we're reminded, but I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee. We've got somebody interested in us having the victory. We have greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And just as Satan, or sorry, just as Jesus was praying for, for Peter to have victory, for his faith to be consistent, I'm sure when Job was through, going through this, Jesus was praying for Job, saying, let his faith hold out. Lord, help him to be strong. Help him to trust you no matter what. Jesus was praying there for Job. And you know what? We learn in John chapter 14 and in the book of Hebrews, we see that we have a mediator in heaven that's praying for us. And when you're going through it, Jesus is on his knees in heaven praying for you. And he wants you to have the victory and Satan can be defeated. When trials come and a Christian is faithful, Satan loses another battle. So Satan has targeted, we look at his, his, what he's going after in the, in the Bible. He's going after primarily God's authority and the position that God has. And he wants that for himself, and that motivates him to attack the Scriptures. It motivates him to attack God's servants, and it also motivated him to attack God's Son. In Matthew chapter 4, we can go there to finish out this morning. Matthew chapter 4, this is the temptation of Christ. And again, we'll be revisiting all of these passages. If you want to do some reading uh, before next week, we'll come back and look at some more of these as we, as we study what Satan has to say and what he's going after. And, and his, his talk, I believe, is what we're looking at next week. But we see in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Christ. Verses 1 through 3 is all we'll read. 
But we see in verse number one, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, notice this, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He was going after God's son. If you're really, and you notice that comes out again in the next temptation he has, if thou be the son of God, he's, he's attacking the person of Christ as God's son, attacking Christ's deity, attacking that Jesus is God. He was going after again God's authority. And he's, he's pursuing that even in his temptation of Christ. What was his drive? What motivated him? He wanted to cause God to fall. If he could get Jesus to sin, he could make God fall. You know, Satan said, I'm going to lift myself up. What happened? He got cast down. He said, if I can't get up there, I want to bring God down here. And so he went after God's sons to try to get to bring God down to where he was at. He could not, he could not make himself like God. Perhaps he could make God like him. I was just, just thinking from, for a few minutes yesterday about what if Jesus had sinned? There's no, there's no, the authority of God would have broken down. He, Christ is the one that holds the world together. The universe would have ended I, 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 had, had, God, had God sinned. Uh, there, there's no way to, to, to try to quantify how, how terrible that, that, that would have been, but Christ was faithful. We didn't have to worry about that. Satan couldn't bring down God's son, couldn't get God, couldn't get God to fall. But that's what he wanted. He wanted God to fall. He wanted God to be taken down from his position because he doesn't like God's authority. God's authority, that grates against Satan, that God had said, this is right, this is wrong, that God had, had, had stood against uh, Satan's pride in his own heart, that just grated against Satan, and he's doing everything he can to attack God's authority. What was his destination? He was attacking God's son. He was attacking Jesus. He wanted to destroy the Son of God. The ministry of the Son of God, the position of the Son of God, the authority of the Son of God, the relationship of the Son of God with, with God the Father. He's after all of that. He wanted to tear that down. And by application, he wanted to destroy God's plan through Jesus. That God through Jesus was going to provide salvation to mankind because Satan had got a victory years ago in the garden when he got man to break his relationship with God by going into sin. And Satan had enjoyed enjoyed that, that momentary victory, but with the coming of Christ, that victory was coming to an end because salvation would be provided to all men and men would be saved and they would turn to God and turn from their sin and what, what glorious that thing that would be, but Satan didn't like that. And so if he could get Christ to reject the cross, well then that, he, could, he could remain remain with that authority he had over man uh, as mankind, as sinners and, and, and not giving God the authority and the, and the worship that he deserves. He's after that. He was after God's plan. You know, Satan still attempts to attack Jesus. He tries to corrupt Jesus' work through another gospel. How many times have we been out trying to tell somebody about the Lord and, oh, no, no, I know about that. And here's completely wrong how they believe they're going to heaven. Because Satan's corrupted the work of Christ by presenting a different gospel. You don't have to believe that stuff in the Bible. You can believe this instead. You can have your own ideas about this. And I was just this last week was talking to a young lady about what the Bible says about judgment. I said, a lot of people think that we're just going to all go up to heaven and we're going to say, hey God, here's what I did. And it's like, ah, I thought like everybody else did. That's the way I thought because they've been given another gospel. And that's, that's Satan attacking the work of God's Son. We see that we see him attacking Christ's work. He also corrupts Christ's testimony through the false Christs that are presented in the world today. Now, there's a lot of Jesuses that are out there that people try to build for themselves. This is, this is the way that I view Jesus. Well, that's 
That's what, how Jesus is supposed to, be, supposed to be viewed. And people have an idea of, well, Jesus is like this. This is how I think Jesus is. Well, that's, that's, a, that's what Satan does. He puts false Christs out there. Trust in this instead of trusting in Christ. And so Satan is still after God's son. He wants to attack, or he wants to corrupt Jesus' bride by bringing temptation and division within the church. You know, Christ is working on the church, and He's working to make it uh, uh, presented to Himself a bride without having spot or wrinkle. And Satan says, well, is that what you want? I'm going to do everything I can to make it something different. And Satan goes after the church, and he wants to bring division. That's how he works, confusion and division. He wants to bring that within the church to corrupt, corrupt the church. Now, he can't take away our salvation, but he says, I want, to be, I want them as blemished as they can be when, when Jesus comes back to get them. That's his goal. Because he's going after, he's going after Christ. What's his desire? What does Satan want to accomplish? Well, he wants to condemn sinners and he wants to corrupt saints. If there's a sinner, he wants to do everything he can to keep them from hearing the gospel, putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Once somebody does, there's nothing else he can do about that. But he can, he can ruin your testimony. He can bring sin into your life. He can get you living defeated so he can go on to the next target. That's what he's interested in. He's just interested in destroying Christians so that he can attack God. That's his primary target is he's going after the throne of God. If something's bringing glory to God, he wants it to stop. And once something's not bringing glory to God anymore, he's not worried about it anymore. He's going on, to the, going on to the next target. So Satan's defeat. How is Satan defeated? Well, Christ is victorious. We see in the, in the temptation here that he did not fall. We see at the cross that he rose victorious. We see in Revelation that he's coming back um, and he'll be victorious and Satan is defeated. He'll be cast in the lake of fire um, forever and ever that Satan is defeated. But understand also that as Christians, Christ has given us the victory as well. Christ has given us the ability to be more than conquerors. He wants us to be victorious through the power of the cross and through the power of the resurrection. And going back to where we started, what kind of a Christian are we? Are we a Christian that Satan's worried about? Because if I'm just living according to the dictates of my flesh, he's not worried about me. Because he's already, he's already got a stronghold in my life. If I'm just allowing the world to dictate what I listen to and what I watch and what I'm interested in and what I talk about and my conversation is driven, he's not worried about me. But if, if I'm a perfect man that is upright, that, that escheweth evil like Job did, Job says, hey, I want that guy for me. And I want to say, no, I belong to God. Amen. I want God to have the victory in my life and I want to be a threat to Satan's dominion. And... Uh, and Ultimately, to be a target, that I want my life to be lived in a way that Satan's worried about me. And I hope that you can say the same, that we don't want to be living in defeat. And so many Christians never get past victory over the flesh, victory over this world, and never be a bother to Satan. But let's, let's rise above. Let's be victorious in the power of Christ.